1: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience Week 8 DraftKings Picks and Preview. If you want to play in the best tournament on DraftKings, look no further than the description of this video or podcast, where you can get the link to the Pat Mayo Experience Open, $15 to play, 3 max entry, no rake! So there's $45,000 guaranteed in the prize pool this week. Let's fill it up, let's make it bigger. Boom! If you're not playing it, you're an idiot. How about that? Just take that to the grave with you. Other ways and maybe you can afford an entry if you get into the, one of the draws for 20 DK dollars, you can do that by smashing the like button of the episode, leaving your DraftKings handle in the comment section, telling me your favorite receiver in the $3,000 range this week on the DraftKings Week 8 main slate. That easy. Other ways to do so. Leave a review after subscribing to the Pat Mayo Experience Audio Podcast. Five stars, DraftKings handle. Something you enjoy about the show. That and follow me on Instagram at the PME. You see a sports photo pop up or a sports video pop up. Give it a quick heart. Leave your DraftKings handle as a comment boom, you'll be in the draw for 20 DK bucks. Winners announce every Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, live on the Pat Mayo Experience. So, tune into that to see if you're a winner or just try to check your DraftKings account like Monday at 1 15 p.m. to see if you have an extra 20 bucks because that means you probably won. The cheat sheet for the show will be available on Friday, close to when the injuries actually come in. I didn't feel like doing it twice, so I'll just put it out then that easy colin drew from daily is joining
2: me this week coming off
1: another hundred thousand dollar win must be nice
2: oh it's awesome uh <laughs> really lucky with the showdown stuff this year uh you know to to get not just one of those but two of those uh been a really fun ride but hopefully we can turn it on for the main slate this week a really good slate i think a lot of good high scoring games should be really fun from a tournament perspective on DraftKings. yeah you
1: uh have discouraged me from playing in showdown by the way you just gotta, you gotta play. You just gotta
2: follow the blueprint. You gotta you, cl- create you, the sharp lineups.
1: But you have the blueprint to win, so that means I'm not only competing for second. That you, you play like max out these tournaments. I, I'm gonna lose to every single one of your lineups.
2: <laughs> We've had a couple subscribers do really well too, and obviously in the showdown stuff, you end up tying a lot of the the prize pools anyways. So. It's always fun. You can always bring someone else along for the ride.
1: All right. So if people do want to get access to the tools that uh, Druby uses to win all of the... How many showdown slates is it now? 11 you've won?
2: Honestly, I've, I've lost count, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but I have won yeah, three separate six-figure prizes, which is pretty surreal.
1: Yeah. And you do that using the Daily Roto tools?
2: Yeah, using the Daily Roto Optimizer. We've got a bunch of good tools. I kind of wrote up a big strategy article, but um, we've also added some new stuff this year, like uh, key boost rules for the optimizer, which I think has been really good for these single game slates, allows you to build in some more correlation into your lineups. And I think that's kind of the way to attack showdown is to try to project different game scripts and how teams correlate with each other. So a lot of the work I've done is kind of went into that and also writing up the weekly uh, or I guess daily for the showdown stuff three times a week, writing up some strategy articles for the individual slates as far as groups that I'm using and kind of different ways to differentiate your lineups.
1: So, if you want to get a discount at dailyroto.com and get full access to all these NFL tools, hell, maybe you're an NBA player, you want it all, just go to dailyroto.com, whatever package that they have, use the promo code THE PME. That's me. Tell them Pat sent you and get yourself 10% off any of the packages up there right now. Let's jump into the slate. We'll start at running back. I look at Christian McCaffrey, he's back. That's usually where I start my lineups. Take Christian McCaffrey, figure the rest out. But he's 9,200 this week. But I think that people are going to look at this matchup. I mean, you're a big ownership guy as well. What does Christian McCaffrey at $9,200 at the 49ers do for his ownership? Because I am not scared of this matchup at all for him.
2: Yeah, it's, it's always tough to get a pulse early in the week. But I do think that he'll be lower owned than he usually is. Perhaps kind of been like the 10 to 15% range. Um, it depends if any clear cut value opens up that makes it affordable, but right now starting to build lineups, it's pretty tough to build through McCaffrey. You don't have any questions about his workload. You know that he's going to get the touches, you know, he's going to get the targets and the receptions. I think that the team total of 18 points is kind of what is keeping it away from being like a lock spot for us and our projections at Daily Roto and kind of makes him a secondary play. Um, and I, but I do agree. I think a lot of the consensus is going to funnel that way a little bit as well. So
1: if he's going to be a second level play from the expense of running backs, uh, who are you looking at for tournaments?
2: Yeah, I, I think the savings matters kind of like every 500 bucks you can get matters a lot this week. So I know Davis likes to call him uh fat CMC, but Leonard Fournette is one of the guys that's projecting as a really strong value for us. You kind of get the exact same workload as you do with Christian McCaffrey you know, on the field, never leads the field. He, You know, he's getting all the red zone work, all the touches. He gets targeted in the pass game as well. And the Jags are playing the Jets, so they get a little bit of a better game environment. They're a favorite at home. They're expected to score an extra five points. And so all that stuff to us, you know, we still have them pretty close as far as that right projection. But with the salary savings that you get for Fournette, that makes him kind of our preferred play at the running back position.
1: I would think that McCaffrey's work in the receiving game actually makes him, and I know that Fournette does get work in the receiving game as well, but he's not a focal point like McCaffrey is for Carolina. Mm-hmm. The big thing that I would look at in terms of this matchup, the one thing that I don't like, you mentioned the low team total, and it's potentially the pace of play in this game. Uh, both Carolina and San Francisco, tremendous against the pass, lesser against the run. They're not bad against the run by any means, but lesser against the run. You can be more effective against the run. And with San Francisco in particular, where they blitz so often, it leaves them very susceptible to tooth, Things And both benefit Christian McCaffrey in this matchup. One is just running up the gut. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, he can do that. So that's a bonus. And you know that you're going to try that an overwhelming amount. The other one is just low A-dot throws against this defense. There's so much separation between either the defensive line coming in and creating the space between the linebackers, the secondary, and the defensive front, that these two, three, four yard passes trying to get your players into space can be relatively effective against the 49ers. If there's one thing we know about Christian McCaffrey, that's where he lives. Like he could end up with 10 catches in this game. Like this could be a potential double, double game for him.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's definitely true. You know, we do have Carolina projected for just 58 plays right now, early in the week, which is among the lowest on the entire slate. So kind of some of the concerns you voiced there, uh, you know, they are there, but even if Carolina only scores 14 points, you know, there's a chance that a hundred percent of that goes through CMC. So the upside is always going to be there in tournaments. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen that he's capable of doing it even without finding the end zone. So definitely a good play. I think we just prefer the value a little bit more for Fournette. And then I guess the other big question mark, and it's going to be something we're not going to know about until later in the week, but is Alvin Kamara going to be healthy and get a full workload for the saints? Because, they're playing Arizona. They've got a 28-point implied total. So if you get a full workload out of Kamara, then you know the price savings that you get for Fournette and Kamara, I think, is really important on the slate. And so those are two guys that early in the week that we would have if we're looking to spend up at running backs as some of the top targets.
1: If somehow Kamara ends up being a scratch, uh, even if it's <laughs> 11.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, does that mean it's like auto-lock Latavius Murray into your lineup?
2: Yeah, so I was so frustrated last week because I, I felt like I, I just never trust Sean Payton. And I felt like there was a chance that they would have like Dwayne Washington or, you know, Zach Zennerd or, or somebody playing more of a role or Taysom Hill with the troll scores. And we saw some Taysom Hill trolling, but Latavius was just an absolute smash. And we had been kind of on him all week. And then I, at the last second, made the decision to kind of pull back my exposure on him. I played some On Johnson instead. But, I mean, Latavius got the full workload. Hardly anybody else saw the field. He was involved in the passing game. And at 5800 I think that price would be absolutely a guy that if Kamara sits, you're definitely going to lock him into your lineups. If
1: David Johnson somehow can't go because the Cardinals signed Alfred Morris this week, no real big deal with Alfred Morris, and a lot of people are using this to be like, oh, David Johnson must be hurt. He must not be playing. But, I mean, they don't have a third running back. They probably need one anyway. Could be for a bit of insurance. But if we somehow figure out that David Johnson is going to be out for this game with his injury, it doesn't seem like people will look at this matchup with Chase Edmonds and be like, this is fantastic. It's a bad matchup against the Saints. They haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher in like two years. But... Will people use him anyway? Because I think I would.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. And I think there's a legitimate concern about David Johnson. It's not just Alfred Morris, but they actually just today signed Zach Zenner as well. So, I mean, why would they be adding two backs to, to their team unless like, maybe they're lingering concerns about DJ long-term? And if Chase Edmonds is there, I definitely think the projection would be you know, upwards of 15-plus you know, DK points if you factor in you know, 75% of the workload in The rushing game, plus you know, four or five targets for him. Um, I guess the you know, it would be more of a secondary play for me just because of the team total for them, just not as much likelihood. They do spread the ball around so much in that offense that you know, even though he'll, he's involved in the past game, I think they had 10 guys get targets last week and nobody saw more than five targets. So, um, I think Chase Edmonds would be a really good value at 6,200. But if you were just to tell me that both Camara, DJ, they're both out, then I would still prefer Latavius Murray over Chase.
1: So if we go from Christian McCaffrey down to Derek Henry, who is the last of the $6,000 players, that has your girlies, that has your Chris Carson's, Le'Veon Bell, Nick Chubb, and a bad matchup up against the Patriots. It's funny, we all thought that Nick Chubb matchup against the Ravens was going to be super bad, and uh, it wasn't. Is this just a spot that, it seems like there's, like, everyone's probably going to use girlie because Cincinnati sucks against the run. So it seems like a lot of the ownerships going to gravitate towards the same the same names this week, at least at the top end uh, of what we're looking at here at running back. Is there merit to using the Nick Chubbs or Le'Veon Bells or even Saquon Barkley's of the world here?
2: Yeah, I I think um, for Saquon specifically, I think there's always, you know, a guy who's kind of guaranteed to get 20 touches and all the goal line work. I think there's always some merit in tournaments to using them, um, but it's just hard when you have CMC right there as well. Um, As, I think Le'Veon Bell is a guy I would also consider just for the same reasons. You know that the workload's going to be there. The price tag is pretty reasonable, and you know he's going to be involved in the passing game as well. Ownership will be down after everybody saw the Jets fail on national television. And so I think he would be a reasonable pivot off of those guys. He's a guy that's a, a positive value for us, not a smash value per se. Um, and Todd Gurley, I think, you know, we're probably low on him this week compared to the, the market in general. I don't think we have a ton of interest in playing him. Um, and that. You know, with Henderson kind of eating into the snap count a little bit and just wondering whether or not they'll manage Gurley, even if they do get ahead, whether or not they'll manage his kind of playing time a little bit, I think would make him a secondary play. We actually like Chris Carson quite a bit this week um, and like him over Todd Gurley kind of at the same price point.
1: It's strange with Chris Carson. Just normally I'm a huge fan, but if you look at how Atlanta's defense is structured, you can pass all over them, but they're incredibly difficult to run against. They're actually fourth in rushing DVOA, and we saw it with Gurley last week. He caught the touchdown. That's great, and we know Carson's going to be used in the receiving game. Gurley did absolutely nothing on the ground. I worry about that for Carson this week.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, You know, We'll talk about the quarterbacks in the passing games later. I do think Carson in tournaments is interesting because I think a lot of the ownership will funnel um, towards Russ Wilson, towards Tyler Lockett in that game. So it might set up the type of scenario where because Carson was you know not finding the end zone last week that his ownership is depressed, but you know that the, the kind of carries and the, the volume has been there for him over the past few weeks
1: uh five thousand dollar running backs austin eckler comes in at fifty nine hundred dollars he's followed down the list latavius josh jacobs philip lindsey devonta freeman royce freeman melvin gordon Malcolm brown i don't have a whole lot of love for any of these guys there's just one denver running back i would love that guy against the colts but i don't want to spend at least fifty five hundred dollars to find out which one it is
2: yeah i think i agree with you there um Right now, I think the one guy I have a little bit of interest in is Devontae Freeman in that game with, you know, one of the highest game totals on the entire slate between Atlanta and Seattle. And with Ido Smith going down last week, I know Freeman got ejected, but like he'll be back this week. It's, it's him and Brian Hill. And so Freeman should be involved in the passing game with Sanu out. You know, he's been involved a little bit throughout the course of the year. And then the workload, as far as running, isn't a concern there. So I think fifty five hundred is a pretty attractive price tag for Devonte Freeman, kind of at that fifty five hundred dollars price point. Prefer him to both of the Broncos backs. Just think his workload is a little bit safer than both Lindsay and Freeman.
1: Out of the guys Lindsay there, Roy the yeah. Place. But like if Latavius Murray is available with no Elvin Kamara, he's the play. But other than that, mm-hmm. I think of all the five thousand dollars guys, I'd either look at Tevin Coleman at five thousand dollars or frankly austin eckler at fifty nine hundred dollars like eventually the chargers are going to clue in that he's their better back and he's already still scoring a bunch of fantasy points anyway that if he just got the timeshare back and got a few more touches on the ground maybe a goal line touch this price is too low for peak austin eckler which i know that we don't have right now but is this price still too low for 80 percent austin eckler from what we saw in like week one week two i think it might be
2: yeah, I mean, the matchup's definitely concerning. The team total for the Chargers is definitely concerning at 18. Um, but it's also the same exact thing that was kind of scaring us off of Latavius last week, too. So um, I think there is some merit there. It's just the the concern about the split with Gordon. Until we see that they're ready to move on and give him, you know, a much bigger workload than, than Melvin, I think it's tough there. Uh, the two guys, I think, at the lower end of the 5,000 range that are pretty interesting— and it, a lot of it will end up being news related a little bit. But if Rex Burke heads out again, I think both Sony Michelle and James White are pretty interesting plays for tournaments. The Patriots obviously have a really high team total against the Browns. You know that if the game is close, that White's going to be getting his, you know, eight, nine targets, hasn't found the end zone. But if he does, he can return value there. And then Sonny Michelle, obviously the, the yardage wasn't there on Monday night, but the touchdowns were. Uh, he did get banged up late in that game. I haven't seen practice reports yet this week so i 'll be kind of trying to monitor that between Michelle Burkhead and then James White because I do think you know, new England 's going to put points on the board, and the, the price tags there are pretty favorable.
1: I kind of worry about the New England offense this week. I think the defense can probably end up winning this game against the Browns, but the Browns are returning, you know, they're two best members of the secondary. So maybe they can actually stop the pass or limit the pass a little bit. But I kind of see this game, Brady wise, going a lot how it did against the Bills. Like, there's one thing the Browns can do, it's get to the quarterback. And if you start rattling Brady, that would probably lead me to believe it's more of a James White game than anything.
2: Yeah, or, or yeah, James White, or they're they're trying to run the ball and, you know, take some of the pressure and use play action or whatever to, to alleviate the pressure on Brady. So I think you can argue kind of both Patriots' backs until <laughs> your head turns blue. Um, but, I mean, the White has been so consistent as far as the target volume this year. He just hasn't had the upside games that we did see last year scoring a couple different, you know, multi-touchdown games. So um, I don't know. I mean, Vegas has not to score 28 points. I mean, maybe the Patriots' D can keep it up. Maybe you, you give them a touchdown, but that's still – you know, three more to try to account for, and I think Michelle and White are pretty good candidates. That's going to change if Burke heads back, and all three are active. Then it's much more of a timeshare than it has been, and so I guess I would pull my foot off the gas a little bit there.
1: Okay, here becomes the problem with Week Eight DraftKings at running back. You go down a hundred dollars from Tevin Coleman at forty nine hundred. You have Ty Johnson, and then there's no one after that. It seems.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I was curious to get your takes on Ty Johnson. Uh, I know, I mean, obviously with the injury to carry on Johnson, people are trying to figure out, you know, they only had three running backs active last week. So he immediately stepped into kind of all the snap count, all the, you know, two thirds of the Russian workload and was kind of equally targeted in the passing game. That would be a really good profile for a $4,900 back with a 28 point total, but they do have Trey Carson who they can activate. And then they've also activated Perkins off the practice squad. So if they've got four running backs active, I feel like the concerns about his market share of rush attempts are there, and that would make it you know, something that maybe I'm a little bit gun-shy on as far as pulling the trigger the first week.
1: I would feel comfortable projecting him with a 15 touch floor or a 60% market share of the snaps based on the way that this game profiles out with the Lions as heavy favorites. That probably mitigates the impact that JD McKissick's going to have in the passing game, considering they're just not going to be down and throwing a bunch here. And even when we saw that last week, we still saw a lot of Ty Johnson on the field. So, I mean, we know what Paul Perkins is. Trey Carson was just let go and then signed by the Lions. And I don't know how ingrained into the offense either one of these guys are it seemed like they liked Johnson anyway he was getting some run when carry on Johnson was healthy so to think that he takes over completely the carry on role you know I'm a bit dubious of that maybe they end up signing someone to come in maybe it's Jay Ajayi. I don't know probably not Jay because no one seems to want him despite glaring running back needs for some of these teams but uh, conservatively I think that 60% of the snaps 15 touches total seems to be about on the mark and if you're going to tell me in a good matchup that guy is only $4,900 yet he could have more than that if he plays 75% of the snaps or 80% of the snaps which is on the unlikelier end of his range of outcomes but it is in the range of his outcomes and just looking at all the other guys below this Cohen who knows how much he's going to play Carlos Hyde not a great matchup with Oakland that's a situation where you're going to be passing the entire time Mixon he reeks at this point Jordan Howard going up against the Bills you can't run up the middle against them like you can just make so many negatives for everyone else below him that I don't think that you have to use him. You could use two running backs, three running backs that are all more expensive if you wanted to, but I do see the merit to using him at $4,900.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think the only other guy even consider as like a, a punt based on the pricing was David Montgomery. Um, he, he lost a lot of work to, to Cohen last week, but if the bears are able to play from ahead, uh, if they're able to run the ball more than they did last week, then perhaps that is a situation where we see a little bit more of Montgomery. But um, I think the biggest decision for me all week will just be trying to decide between one of the Patriots backs or Ty Johnson, and ownership can help dictate that a little bit, but I usually care less about ownership at the running back position compared to really any of the other positions out there, probably quarterback and running back. I think ownership matters the least to me. So um, trying to decide between those two Patriots backs and Ty Johnson I think is going to be important. And I do agree with what you said, the The median projection might be the same on all three of those guys, but there is some upside to the role if he does end up taking like 70%, you know, 75% of the workload.
1: Yeah. E- even at the floor that I kind of presented for his price tag, you'd probably end up taking that you'd want more, obviously. And maybe that's more of like a cash game or a head to head play than a tournament play. But I do think that there is some upside still to be unleashed from Ty Johnson in this spot. He could also just be terrible as well. Like that's also in his range of outcomes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think it's pretty close to me, like, you know, nine targets for James white or like 10 carries and four targets for Ty Johnson. Like that's pretty close to me, but like you said, they're expected to put points on the board. It should be a competitive game. So um, he's definitely in play.
1: Okay. Let's move to wide receiver. Then um, I guess the big question this week kind of comes down to, do you want to pay all the way up for Deandre Hopkins at $8,100 oh. do you want to take the hundred dollar discount and go to Michael Thomas People have concerns about Patrick Peterson in this game, but we know that there's a lot of Michael Thomas in the slot moving around the field. He can get away from him if he wants to. Uh, I'm going to guess you like Michael Thomas better. I happen to prefer DeAndre Hopkins.
2: Yeah, we've got Thomas a little bit ahead. Um, usually when something's this close, like wide receivers, one of the positions, I think the the DFS field in general is the worst at predicting on a week-to-week basis. The actual ownership of DFS in DFS tournaments of wide receivers compared to output for um, you know their fantasy points on DraftKings is the lowest of any position, so these are typically the the positions where I would like to make contrarian plays. Now, you tell me they're both equal in ownership, maybe a slight preference to Thomas, but I, I hear your concerns on Peterson. Um, but if you tell me one of these guys is half the ownership, or even five or ten percent lower than the other guy, then it's so close I would just take the lower owned guy and kind of move move along with the week. It just feels like there's going to be more narrative spun up against Thomas than there is against Hopkins. So um, because of that, I do think that Thomas is going to end up the better tournament play.
1: Well, the largest issue becomes that if we just talked about that, the cheapest running back we even really want to go to is forty nine hundred dollars. That means a lot of people are going to be allocating their salary cap towards running backs, meaning you just can't pay up for all these wide receivers unless you can find a soft spot somewhere else. But it does seem the value at wide receiver can open up your lineup to a construction that you don't hate when you end up looking at your team. So is there a chance that a lot of these higher priced wide receivers go under owned?
2: Uh, It'll be pretty intricate. I feel like the ownership is funneling to the, these games. Um, Maybe, maybe Thomas does go under owned. I feel like uh, the ownership is definitely going to be pretty heavy on the the Houston side of things as well. I think that Watson will be one of the more popular quarterback plays. They have the highest team total of the week. um, I think alongside new England, So I I don't really see Hopkins flying totally under the radar. I think some of the salary relief below $4,000 at wide receiver um, might free up people to try to pay up for at least one of these guys. And then I think the ownership maybe goes away from Julio, Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, kind of that next year right behind. So I think people are spending up are going to want to spend up on Hopkins and then maybe Thomas, but they're not going to want to spend up on Cooper Cup, for example. Well,
1: how about this? Instead of starting your team with Hopkins, Thomas, Jones, or Cup, why not just start it with Chris Godwin?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think coming off the bye, that game's probably going to go overlooked. Uh, I think the the total on that game, just in general, it doesn't seem like the type of game that you necessarily expect it to shoot out. But, you know, the Bucs have shown that they can do it in times where you don't expect it either. You know, winning the Millionaire Maker for people when they were playing at Los Angeles against the Rams. And the offense is so concentrated between Godwin, Mike Evans, and Jamison. said it's a pretty easy one to stack. Um, I think the biggest question is just like, will Tennessee have to open it up and will they throw the ball more or will they just try to slow it down as much as they can? Obviously, the Bucs have a really good run D. So we're not super into Derrick Henry this week, but um, will the Bucks be able to score fast enough that we force you know, Tennessee out of controlling it on the ground? I don't know. That'll, that'll be an interesting one.
1: Well, I just don't think that – I think that the plays in this game and the total in this game should should be a lot higher because I I think that everyone kind of agrees with the game script that you just kind of laid out. Tennessee runs with Derrick Henry for three yards, milks the clock. They try to move the chains that way. But I think that Tennessee's – I think that Tennessee can take advantage of the secondary of Tampa. Like, the number one DVOA run defense, Tampa Bay. The number three – DVOA, run defense, Tennessee. like Running's just not going to happen in this game, or at least it's not going to be successful. So if someone can put up some quick points here, I can see the shooting out.
2: Yeah, I do think it's a underrated game stack to to target this week. Uh, one that you'll get at very low ownership. The salary is important this week. I think you get a little bit of salary savings through this game, um, even if you were to go maybe through like the Tennessee side as well. If you think that they are going to get behind early and, and get more aggressive with Tannehill, I think that, you know, the combination of price and team total on the passing game for Tennessee is also pretty interesting.
1: So of the names that we haven't mentioned so far near the top, which player below from this range of the seven thousands, if you did want to go to create, let's say Tyler Lockett is the first guy potentially on the list. Would you feel comfortable with him or anyone below him as your highest price receiver on your, on your team?
2: Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I definitely think you could start off with like Russ Tyler Lockett stacks. I think that's going to be a pretty good spot to start off against Atlanta Seattle's team total up close to 30 as well. The really concentrated offense within Seattle in the passing game. Um, They would obviously like to run the ball if they can, but if the game gets fast, you know, Russ has as much talent as anyone. Uh, We've got Tyler Lockett only at 22% of the targets right now, and he still projects as one of the top values. And so building with Lockett as your most expensive receiver is definitely a a viable path.
1: Uh, Anyone else in the 6Ks do it for you? Like, are you an Odell man in the worst possible matchup?
2: Uh, I wouldn't. No, I'm not going to play Odell. I think the only scenario where I'd play him um, is if I wanted to play any like Brady stacked with Edelman and James White or something like that. I think that's the type of situation where I'd play Odell. But otherwise, he's just not popping enough in this matchup to kind of hit lineups as a one off play.
1: So if the rest of the 6K guys, whether it be Keenan Allen, Galladay Woods, Hilton, Chark, Allen Robinson, uh, and even if we go down a little bit more into the John Browns of the world, uh, Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, Brennan Cooks, Calvin Ridley at $5,600. Should be more targets for him with Mohamed Sanu gone. And you hope like Justin Hardy or Gage doesn't sneak in there, but it could be Matt Shaw playing quarterbacks. So that would not be good for him. I- I'm just trying to figure out where I would want to go in this range. And I don't love any of these guys. Like John Brown on paper seems like such a good matchup, but... I don't know. It just feels like a spot where the bills can end up disappointing here for a ceiling type performance that you would want yeah. out of John Brown. I think I'd much prefer like DJ Chark in this range over everyone else.
2: Yeah. I think the TY Hilton is popping is a pretty good value for us. His price is up a tiny bit last week, but he's got big play potential in that offense. And um, it's it's not like, it doesn't seem like it's going to be the the game that shoots out. That doesn't mean TY can't shoot out um, usually like to play him when he's lower owned. It'll be interesting to see if he ends up high owned off the performance last week. And then I guess the other guy is Kenny Galladay, that's projecting pretty well for us. I guess, you know, we talk about Ty Johnson potentially trying to pivot off of that game. One way to do that would be assuming that the Lions aren't gonna be able to effectively run the ball. They have to go to the air more. Marvin Jones with the huge week last week, maybe it's Galladay's turn, maybe it's Hawkinson's turn, but they're like Detroit's expected to put points on the board. So for lineups where you're not attacking the Detroit running game, I think that going to the passing game and going to call Galladay is a good play. So the two stacks that
1: I like the most, I've kind of already mentioned the Texans stack. uh, You probably bring it back with Waller. That'd be my case. Unless Tyrell Williams is somehow active for this game. I don't Mm -hmm. think that he's going to be, but what does that do? Cause uh, right now, daily Roto, you guys haven't projected as being out or he's just like the worst possible player of all time. One of the two, I'm going to guess that it's a, by the big red next to his name, probably not in the system right now and not being factored in let's say he can go here the Texans don't have a great secondary you know that Derek Carr is going to have to be throwing like if he is somehow active we know that the ball goes to him could you make a case for a Carr Williams Waller stack and then bring it back with one of the Texans guys
2: I think you could because I mean we've talked repeatedly there aren't that many clear sources of salary relief on the slate so paying it You know, the old school DraftKings way was to pay down at quarterback, pay up at other positions. Tannehill, we kind of talked about maybe having some value in that game. I think Carr is the other guy that, you know, potentially could have that value. Right now, like there's just not enough attractive pieces in the passing game outside of Waller. But if Williams is there, then, you know, those two guys earlier in the season were taking up the lion's share of the targets. And so I think it would, you know, it might hurt Waller a little bit, but he'd still be, you know, one of the top three tight ends on the slate. And it would open up car to be a more attractive double stack. So I think, you know, probably a a stack that I would avoid in three max. But if I was building like 20 teams, you might want to mix in like one of those. Uh, So I think this
1: entire range outside of maybe Cortland Sutton, who everyone's just really going to like without Emmanuel Sanders around at 5,300 bucks. Uh, is probably a situation that everyone just comes in with low ownership. But you have guys in this range that are pretty good with decent matchups, too, like Elshon, not Elshon, sorry, Tyler Boyd against the Rams. I mean, he saw 14 targets last week and he came away with four of them. But still, that market share is very, very good. DK Metcalf against Atlanta. We talked about hard to run on Atlanta. You can pass all over them. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I really like Robbie Anderson against Jacksonville. Uh, I like this Jets offense in a rebound spot this week. And I think you can do it both on the ground and through the air against Jacksonville at this point, if they can just have a modicum of pass protection for Sam Darnold. And with Robbie Anderson, he's sort of one of my favorite tournament guys, this prototype of receiver, very Will Fuller-esque that, yeah, he's going to put up some horrendous games, but it only takes three catches with him to break the slate.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of nailed some of the guys, I think, that are values for us. Boyd and DK Metcalf are two of the guys that pop as really good values. Um, One of the things when I build multiple lineups for tournaments, if I build like a set of 150, we have a volatility setting in the optimizer that lets you use kind of a higher range of outcomes for players in your MME runs. I think Boyd, I mean, he saw 14 targets last week. He also saw that three weeks ago. So um, he's more of a PPR guy, like typically less of a big play deep threat. So maybe his range of outcomes is a little more narrow. But I think with that target volume in a game that they're supposed to be behind, you know, they're going to be passing. It doesn't take a lot of efficiency for him to put up like a a eight for 60 outcome. And, you know, if you find your way into the end zone, then it's a pretty good payoff for that salary. DK Metcalf has been heavily targeted in the red zone for the Seahawks, and Russ Wilson. They're expected to score a ton. I do feel like the ceiling on Metcalf might be a tiny bit higher than Boyd, but Boyd has a a reasonable floor. Then the other guy, I think as you move kind of transition down, you talked about wanting to it. Stills. Give me all the stills. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so what what is stills going to be owned this week like I definitely like stills he's popping in the projections has huge play potential feels like the guy if he's like 20% owned that I should fade but if he's even you know 10% or even lower I mean it's a great spot to use him and it's a guy that we've been high on kind of in season long drafts moving into this year got frustrated with the trade because he lost so much playing time but that playing time finally opened back up
1: I just I don't see any other, like, very clear, distinct values outside of... I mean, I use D.D. Westbrook every week, but that just never really seems to... Well, he hasn't had a ceiling game yet. Maybe that's just not in the cards for him in this offense, knowing that if they get in close, they usually try to run four net. So maybe he's capped as it pertains to tournaments unless he can return a punt or something like that. Like, you know, I zach pascal maybe if ty hilton is actually going to be shadowed by chris harris maybe he can back it up i hope people go to Corey davis that'll be a lot of fun because that's not going to work out at all but like how about emmanuel sanders and muhammad sanu in their new spots they're in the system they're eligible to be used i don't really want to take either one of them
2: no i don't really either Uh, i mean i feel like dd is a pretty good play he kind of had his ceiling game last week i guess right it's like Eight catches, 100 yards, 20 DK points. That's, I mean, that's really solid for that price tag. You would lock that in in a heartbeat if you're able to get that again. Um, so I think he's the guy potentially you can mix in like Kiki Day If you, if um, stills does become chalky and you want to find a way to double stack Watson, but do it in a contrarian way, potentially he'd be a pivot off of that. Uh, I don't trust the wide receivers coming over kind of in short weeks to new teams to get ample playing time. I, I think, you know, Antonio Brown, when he came to the Patriots, he did get targeted a lot that first game, but his snap count was still pulled back. In previous years, when we've seen guys like bets like Golden Tate traded to the Eagles midseason, it takes like two, three weeks before they really get up to like full speed in the offense, full playing time. So those guys on new teams are, are full passes for me this week.
1: Yeah, the the guy that I like the most here, uh, besides Kenny Stills is at forty one hundred dollars. I really like AJ Brown. I have already talked about, you know, the Tampa stack in this game. You can game stack it. That would be the move for me. Jameis. Evans, Godwin, A.J. Brown. That'd probably be my four guys from that game.
2: Yeah, the, I was looking at that game too, trying to dig in for something under the radar and Tannehill with Corey Davis and or A.J. Brown on my radar a little bit. They both got seven to eight targets last week, but I feel like the, the playing time is always the type of thing that concerns me. And Adam Humphreys, Tajay Sharp, both getting used a little bit more as the season goes along they definitely target Davis and AJ Brown more in the passing game. And so maybe, you know, Humphreys and Sharp, you know, Sharp maybe is used more when they're kind of running for blocking and whatnot, but um, that, that has been a little bit gun shy, as far as trusting that the target volume is like guaranteed to be there. A, a five target game is probably viable and that's not great. So I think those Tennessee guys are guys um, I would manage ownership, you know, exposure to, I'd mostly be interested in them with Tampa stacks And then kind of like a light sprinkle and MME, I probably wouldn't trust them for three max enough.
1: The reason I like AJ Brown here is because I do think that I keep kind of harping on. I think that Tennessee is going to end up passing a lot. And even if it is only five targets, obviously that's suboptimal for what I really want to go and try to actually win an MME, but his ability to do so much after the catch it, that he kind of falls to me, although he's not getting targets deep downfield like a Fuller, like a Robbie Anderson, or like an old-school Marquise Goodwin type of player. His ability to turn short catches into long touchdowns with his ability after the catch, it's very TOS. He's just a powerful guy. He's super fast. And this Tampa secondary is god-awful. They can't tackle. And he just seems like, a just watching the game, he just seems like a matchup nightmare for them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, the only other guy like maybe a tiny bit of interest in was Mike Williams, um, hasn't been there this year, but you know, big red zone usage in the past last year has, you know, some big play potential, not a great game environment there, but, uh, I guess as a dart, that's kind of the guy at $4,000. If you're not totally punting down below that I think would, would at least be in my mix a little bit.
1: Well, Drewby, if there's one thing I love to do, it's punt at wide receiver with some guy who gets zero points. Cause I try to do it every weekend. It never really works out last week. That guy for me was Adam Humphreys. He had a solid eight points. Not great. So eventually one of these guys is going to hit for me. Who is it down here this week? I like Anthony Miller. I think he's in a nice spot against the chargers.
2: Yeah. The the punts are tough. I guess um, our projections don't have them very high, but I think Deshaun Hamilton has at least a little bit of interest. He should see more work with Sanders being traded. I think Sutton's role doesn't really change. Like he was still on the field, 90% of snaps. He's still getting a lot of the targets anyways. So it's it's really Deshaun Hamilton who should see a little bit of expanded playing time. If you're going to stack like Brissett with Hilton, I think that running it back with Deshaun would kind of be able to punt, open up some value and maybe, you know, six catches for 60 yards at that price. Maybe you're okay with that. And then I guess the other guy would be Jacoby Myers as far as a potential option. New England just hasn't had to keep their foot on the gas at all in many of these games. But the Browns are supposed to keep it a little bit closer than the games have been recently. And with just the injuries on the Patriots wide receiver core, Myers is seeing more usage as far as snap counts, uh, 70% of snaps in week six five targets. I I think there's some value there, um, but it's not great. Like there's definitely a possibility that you get like a two for 20 performance and it busts your entire lineup.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, Myers, especially if Muhammad Sanu is going to be actually worked in here, he could be the odd man out in this offense. Yeah. If he's
2: active, that's for sure a concern.
1: So Anthony Miller, like I mentioned, any wide receiver two or tight end against the Chargers probably want to play those guys. They turn out to be all right. And Miller was seeing increased work last week. I think that Deshaun Hamilton might end up with double digit ownership here. And that would just make him a pure fade for me.
2: Okay. I think I would agree with that. If he, if the ownership funnels there, I think it's a pretty good pass. We have him as like a marginal value, even if you gave him a lot of Sanders kind of target share, but using Deshaun's like yards per target and catch percent, he still wouldn't be an exceptional value. So I'd be fine to pass on the low ownership. Um, but I do see him, if the ownership's not like not crazy, if it's 5 to 10%, I do see him as a pretty big salary relief on a, a sleeper I think you kind of need it.
1: The only other one right now, and it, it's really tough because he's absolutely not trustworthy, but Ted Ginn, if Traquan sits again, could be prime for an excellent matchup. He always plays better on the fast track. He always plays better at home. It's a nice matchup in a high-paced game against the Car- against the Cardinals. Maybe they don't need to pass as much, but if we work under the impression that Peterson will try his best to be on Michael Thomas and not Ted Ginn, uh, that's good news for Ted Ginn.
2: Yeah, and th- those are the types of plays that I think you can consider in MME, 150 lineups. I always struggle. Like If you're only playing three lineups or even 20, it just seems like it's getting a little bit too acute for me. You're, you're kind of looking at like five to six targets as the ceiling. And then you just have to hope like three of them go for 110 yards and two touchdowns or something like that. I can never quite get there in three max and never even in 20 max. But I do think an MME, especially if you're trying to stack that Saints game, I think Bridgewater's price is pretty attractive. Obviously, Thomas and Camara have huge upside if they're both there. And Ginn would be like the contrarian way to mix in exposure to that game.
1: Yeah, well, once we get to tight ends, depending on the injury report, a Saints tight end could end up with a whole lot of ownership this week. It might be a nice idea to get off them and get on to Ted Ginn, potentially, if that's the case. The problem is, if we talk about, like, you couldn't get there even in a 20 max, definitely not in a three max, you'd have to play 150 lineups. I'm not going (laughs) to play 150 lineups. I'll probably play three lineups this week and just play a lot of these three maxes and try to construct my team that way. That means, based on the way that we've talked so far, is that I don't have the ability to really pay up for a receiver then.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you could fit the, you know, if you wanted to fit in like the Watson stills Hopkins stack with uh, bring it back with either Tyrell or Waller, I think you can fit that type of stuff in without going too far off the board, especially if you're willing to gamble on some of these uh, punt defensive teams. Now that DraftKings has changed the pricing so much, it gives you some, some interesting value. Like if you were going to, yeah. So I, I think there's some ways to still fit that in. If you wanted to like double stack Watson, I think you can still do it. So let's move to
1: quarterbacks. Watson's the second highest priced. He is my favorite, uh, just especially for stackable purposes. Do you make any lineups that don't have correlation with quarterbacks, receivers, or tight ends?
2: No, not really. Um, I, I guess the the one exception, I feel like this year has started to become one a little bit. Uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, sometimes I use the key boost rules when making lineups with him where I'm just like boosting the receivers for him. I mean, he's more or less generating a lot of his upside with his legs and then you've got the tight end connection but it's been hard to stack him beyond that when hollywood brown's been out so jackson is a guy i consider single stacking but for the most part i'm trying to game stack i'm trying to double stack my quarterbacks um i think watson is unique i think you could double stack watson if you wanted i think with hopkins and um cootie or stills but watson you know 30 percent of the market share brush touchdowns is what we haven't projected for a uh, big volume of carries as well generates offense with his legs so i think watson's the type of guy that you could you could single stack if you wanted to potentially if you wanted to even just stack him with stills and hope that he kind of gets there through the ground and then through a couple of big plays to stills i think those are all kind of viable options for for watson specifically a guy like goff i'm like i would always double stack
1: yeah, yeah. just because well, I mean, it's, it's so difficult to figure out which receivers he's actually going to go to. And now that Gerald and Everett's a thing, that it just makes that even trickier. But I think you could play Watson by himself. He's better to probably stack or double stack. And I would actually use Fells instead of Cutie if I was going to go off of Hopkins or Steels. I think that might be a way to get yourself a bit more contrarian coming off a bad week. But I like... Watson the best for his stack car we talked about a little bit as sort of the same game high total and if Tyrell Williams plays it's very clear what you need to do with that Raiders offense and you hope the rest of the jabronis don't catch touchdowns but they do enjoy to do that the other one I was looking at that you could potentially play by himself and I don't know if this is the week but he falls under the same Lamar Jackson style is Josh Allen like you never know what's gonna happen there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think Josh Allen's been another guy that I've struggled with because he's projected as really good value for us multiple weeks throughout the course of the season. And I've generally been single stacking him with Brown or Beasley. And Beasley has not worked out really (laughs) once. Uh, Brown, you kind of got there last week. Um, What I always try to think about with these quarterbacks like Watson or even Russ Wilson is at their price tag, what are they going to have to do to pay off their salary? And 7k for a quarterback is asking a lot. I think you're asking for like twenty eight. DraftKings points and if they're going to put up that massive of a game then the chances of none of their players coming through are pretty low and somebody in the field is going to have those players that do come through so I typically would still especially with Russ and Deshaun Watson try to stack them at least once if not twice the Seahawks offense is pretty concentrated as well with Lockett Metcalf so um, I think you know Watson if I create groups in our optimizer he's probably a single stack. Wilson, I'm probably trying to double stack. And then um, I think, you know, even like Allen, I think at his price probably still has to put up a pretty good performance. So I'd probably still stack him. Once you get down cheaper, if you're talking about like punting with Derek Carr or Ryan Tannehill, those guys, I would leave the double stack open for consideration. But I think that you could just play them with one guy and still probably be fine. You know, what you're hoping for there is they put up like 20, 22 DK points no other QB blows the slate off. And then you've got $2,000 of extra salary to spend up on some of those wide receivers.
1: Yeah, I think with Carr, if you just want to do Carr and Waller, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. I wouldn't mm-hmm. even touch. I mean, Tannehill, I like some of the options in this game. I don't like Ryan Tannehill all that much. So I think I would much prefer Carr into that situation. The other guy is kind of around it. So Watson would be the best stack for me. I think Jameis is probably number two because he's only 5,900. Evans and Godwin are pricey, but they're not the most expensive guys at their positions either. They still do have some wiggle room with them after that it
2: might be Derek Carr for me
1: or potentially Sam Darnold
2: yeah it's what i try to look for with the stacks is if it's not a quarterback with running upside trying to look for a concentrated offense so Matt Stafford pretty interested in stacking this week you feel like you're chasing it maybe a little bit after Marvin Jones week last week but you still know that a lot of the passing volume is going to go to Jones to Gallaudet or to to Hawkinson. So it's pretty easy for me to kind of narrow down that target tree and then bringing it back the other way is something I like to do. And I think the Giants, as long as Sterling Shepard is out, they're going to be pretty concentrated as well. So it makes it just a good environment with two offenses that are concentrated that narrows down, not just the stack you're looking for, but also the bring back. And then the Matt Ryan, I think is the other guy just with Snoo gone, uh, you know, maybe Russell Gage steps in a little bit and, you know, plays a little bit of that role, but feels like it should narrow the offense a little bit more through Julio, through Ridley, through Hooper, and then Seattle being a concentrated offense on the other side. I think just in general that game has a high total and has concentrated offenses, has talented quarterbacks that are willing to throw the ball if they need to, and that makes it uh, the type of game that can shoot out some concerns about Matt Ryan, I guess, if he's not going to be practicing much this week. But if their team total stays high, then I think that's going to be enough to kind of appease those concerns.
1: So I don't know if he's going to play or not. As we record this right now, he's yet to practice, mispractice on Wednesday. And everywhere I've looked, you can't even bet that game. There are no totals. There are no okay. spreads. It's just off the
2: board. Yeah, so if, he, if it's off the board, then that's a real concern. And yeah, for sure.
1: So that means the highest like stackable games of the week. The highest one we keep talking about, Oakland and Houston. And you always yep. have the fun of watching your teams be in last place all afternoon. Then here comes the hammer with, with this, everyone in that game. After that, it actually is that Giants and Lions game at 49. And then after that, I guess it's Arizona of the Saints and Bengals Rams. It's not there's no like that one game very clearly sticks out as the one that's going to likely be the highest scoring of the week, at least projected to be but there's no super low scoring game really outside of like denver indianapolis and jags jets which is a game i think can definitely go
2: over yeah and i I think the other games um you know the the rams have a high point total the Bengals don't so you're not sure how competitive it will be but uh, at least on like the Bengals, I at least can see like the value of bringing it back with Boyd at a reasonable price tag, and the I guess the hope would be. And the concern with the Rams is last week they used a lot of heavy personnel, they used a lot more like two tight end looks, and they scaled back the workload of all the wide receivers, which is kind of the opposite of what we come to expect the, the past eighteen months. Was that just game plan specific for you know this one week against the Falcons, or is that what we should expect this week? Kind of hard to tell, but I do think there's still some merit in kind of the Rams side of things. And I think the bring back stack for the Bengals is still kind of viable in that, that game. I think the, the Saints game, it's just, I don't necessarily trust the bring back stacks there because the cards have been spreading the ball around so much. So um, if I stack the Saints, I'm, I'm not going to force Arizona coming back the other way. Might use some of the key boost rules in the daily Rider optimizer, but it's not something I think I need to force.
1: If Christian Kirk returns for this game, I think you can comfortably bring back Larry Fitzgerald.
2: Just because of the defensive attention or... or.
1: I think that's been the problem with Larry Fitzgerald since Christian Kirk has gone out is that defenses can actually focus on stopping him. He's not just open eight yards over the middle every single play. Uh, the other guys just, they're too inconsistent. They're, they're not great route runners. They're like, burn. they do like one thing incredibly well, each of them, and defenses have figured that out. So if Christian Kirk returns and gives them a viable option on the outside, you'd think that's where Lattimore ends up going, whether it's PJ Williams or whether he's still suspended, that doesn't really matter. He's terrible. And that's who would be on Larry Fitzgerald. So that's a nice matchup to me as long as they know that hey we have another guy to deal with now
2: yeah and then um, I think that makes sense I I probably wouldn't force it but I would leave it open and maybe boost the projections of the Cardinals players by like 15% for any lineups that are anchored by Teddy Bridgewater and then I guess the Patriots you know have to be in play as well just given their their team total and given the fact that the Browns offense is concentrated enough that we know if the game's competitive we know who will be scoring Um, right now our projection is definitely preferred going through the Patriots running game going through Sonny Michelle and James White but um, you know we've kind of seen this happen the past couple weeks where Aaron Rodgers you know smashed in the spot where nobody was playing him because everybody was playing the running game and we saw it you know before with Kirk Cousins where he smashed in a spot where nobody was playing him because everybody was playing Dalvin Cook instead based on the matchup and so maybe this is the the type of game that everybody plays Sony Michelle because he scored three touchdowns last week. The Patriots are projected to win and play through their defense. But if the game does shoot out, then maybe Tom Brady puts up three touchdowns and it goes to Edelman and white and you kind of get, you know, some concentration there. So that's, I guess I'm a Patriots Homer, so I'll, I'll at least have one of those in there, but I think there is some merit there. Even if you think Brady's washed. What was the
1: showdown team that you won with on Monday night using the page Patri- was it just all Patriots.
2: Uh, so I won the Sunday oh, night Sunday. game. I got right. smoked against the Patriots. Um, the the Patriots D just absolutely, they were like 30% owned at captain at like $7,000 and I just got absolutely wiped out. But the one before was uh Zeke Elliott captain as part of a, a five Cowboys onslaught. And that was kind of the big differentiator was uh, the Cowboys D over like having a second Eagles player on the roster. Uh, I think the closest teams behind me that like 30 yard bomb that was went through for Aguilar, where you kind of, Seemed like he gave up on it a little bit. Like that play would have swung the entire slate. Probably would have cost me like six figures. I might have ended up with a losing slate.
1: Oh my god, really?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just one catch. Like there are teams that are you know three, four points behind you. One catch for thirty yards, and it's just massive. Like the earlier slate this year that I won with the the Bucks Panthers game with the Chris Godwin kind of captain game and the CMC kind of letdown spot against the Bucks. That one uh, to close out the game. The Bucks had the ball on their own like two yard line. So James Winston ran a QB sneak to close out the game. If they had handed it to Peyton Barber and he gets two yards there, not even joking, two yards. And that would have been a six figure swing. Oh but, like God. every play just matters so much in showdown. It's crazy.
1: That is, I mean, maybe Aguilar was one of the people that you tied with. That's why I didn't try to catch the ball
2: yeah yeah I mean it's like gives you heart
1: palpitations sweating it uh so if we move to tight end Kittle is the most expensive I don't think there's going to be much ownership at all on him that could be if you have the salary cap room which you probably won't I could see that as a contrarian move I'm just all in on Darren Waller just use Darren Waller use this as a spot to pay up like I like him better than Hooper I like him better than Ingram Ertz and Hunter Henry and Kittle this week this is the spot for him
2: it's a great spot for him um I was on Waller last week uh, Me too. Just as a One thing I pivot. got right. <laughs> nice, it's a nice pivot. Like everyone was on Ingram last week. Um, I think Waller's in a great spot. That could be the chalkiest game stack. And the chalkiest way to do it would for sure be to bring it back with Darren Waller, especially if Tyrell Williams is out. So the positions I usually try to pivot at, even in three max, are wide receiver. Try to find a pivot there, tight end, and doing that either within the game stack that I like or uh, doing it as like the one-off play that kind of rounds out the wide receiver core or the tight end core. So I think tight end, like in the three max, if I'm stacking the game, I definitely want Waller in there. But if I'm avoiding that game with the rest of my roster, then perhaps Evan Ingram, you know, kind of reversing the, the ownership funnel of last week. Maybe the ownership reverses. You get him at half the ownership of Waller. They're both in pretty good matchups. They're both pretty talented. And so you just kind of hope for the upside game. And when you're right, at least you're competing against fewer lineups. Hooper could end up with
1: lower ownership solely because we might not know this Matt Ryan situation until yeah. later on in the week. If Brian plays, obviously you'd want to play Austin Hooper below that, whether it's Henry Everett. I mean, if Jared cook is active, everyone's going to use him. I suggest not using Jared cook.
2: Yeah. I I, I don't think I wouldn't be in love with Jared cook either. Um, just hasn't had kind of consistent pass game usage. And like, I just, I mean, I, I don't trust Sean Payton. It's hard to trust that offense outside of, like knowing Bridgewater Michael Thomas and, you know, if Kamara is active, Kamara, otherwise Latavius. Um, so Cook, would, I'd be off. If people are on it for the flowchart narrative, great. Um, I'm, I'm happy to kind of pivot elsewhere.
1: Yeah, you can probably even still just use Josh Hill in that situation anyway. If Jared Cook is in line to have a really good game, he'll score like minus two points. That's what he does.
2: <laughs> yeah, Totally, yeah. Yeah, he's got like two good games in him all season, and it's usually when he's 2% owned and then people – kind of chase it the next week at 20% and he'll put up two points.
1: Delaney Walker's in a situation where he may not play this week. Would that have you on Johnu Smith at all, who played 83% of the Titan snaps last week? I, I
2: don't think so. I actually haven't thought about that one very much, but um, I'm not sure the passing volume is going to just, I don't know if the Titans don't want to pass that much. And then they've got those four wide receivers. So I probably would sit out on, you know, even if Delaney Walker's out, I'd probably sit out there.
1: If Jared Cook sits and misses his second week. How popular does Josh Hill actually become at thirty two hundred dollars?
2: I don't know. Do you think? Do you think he becomes
1: popular? It's a narrative.
2: Yeah. Uh, What was? Well, what was? I guess I don't have the information in front of me. Do you remember what Eifert was that one week? Thirty five hundred bucks. Do you remember what his ownership was? I don't know what his ownership It was. It was incredibly high. Okay. Yeah, because he was like a a fairly thin play as far as like his snap count and target share wasn't that high. So I think like whatever Eifert was, I think Hill would be that ownership, but maybe a little bit less just because people don't have like any legacy with playing Hill and they have at least some with playing Tyler Eifert. Hill would actually
1: be in a better spot. I think played almost 70% of the offensive snaps last week, but then if it gets into a situation like that, it's exactly what happened when Rhett Ellison scored the touchdown. That definitely means Dan Arnold is now scoring a touchdown.
2: Yeah. Or you got Taysom Hill on there. There's just so many ways for the saints to just so many ways for the saints to troll you. Um, I guess the the other guy I like a lot, maybe a little bit of bias here. Cause he was on that hundred K showdown lineup, but I think Dallas Godair is in play this week, twenty eight hundred dollars, almost the minimum price. And the last four weeks, he's been playing on seventy percent of the snaps for the Eagles as well. It's not the best matchup in the world, but with that price tag, you don't need a ton to pay it off. Um, you just kind of are hoping that the other popular tight ends on the slate don't go nuts. And as long as you know they're going like seven for seventy without a touchdown, then Goder can get you know close to that at you know half the price, free up the rest of your roster. And I think he's priced like a backup tight end, but he's playing more like a complementary piece of the offense, a wide receiver three, than he is playing like a stone backup tight end, at least for the past four weeks. His long-term usage was lower, but he was battling injury earlier in the season. He kind of missed the game against the Falcons. So I'm willing to bank on his usage being more what it's been the past three to four weeks than what it's been over the course of the season.
1: I like your French pronunciation of Goddard. Good day. I
2: like that. <laughs> I was, I meant to warn you before the show that I was going to botch at least like two to three names. Yeah. Mildly. But uh,
1: I, I have Leonie on all the time who can't say Delaney properly, which is pretty funny to me. So maybe it's a thing. I just assumed you were just you know playing to the crowd with French pronunciation. Uh, the, the island of, uh, you got to watch out <laughs> for him stealing all my Waller touchdowns.
2: Enrique Ebron.
1: I like Ebron this week.
2: Yeah, I was frustrated. My best team last week had um, Brissett, which was a great contrarian pick, with, with Hilden, who was pretty chalky. But I I went with Doyle instead of Ebron, and so that ended up costing me a good bit just because Ebron got in the end. Zone.
1: I think like, if you're going to pay down, even if Cook misses the week, I'd still rather have Ebron than Josh Hill. So that could be a situation where I end up on him. And then there's three guys right in the middle in the like mid $3,000 range. Herndon, if he's back Hawkinson, who just keeps dropping touchdowns, but he's going to be the guy that no one uses from that lion stack. And then Darren Fells, who people liked last week at a cheap price, didn't do anything, but just kind of got phased out. If you think there's a lot of points in this game, I could see him coming down with something.
2: Yeah. I think, I think we're fairly into Hawkinson this week, definitely into him with lion stacks Um, out of that group, kind of the guy that I I trust the most um, early in the week. And, I think you could play them as a one-off or as a part of those stacks. So I always like that too. I usually end up with more exposure to guys like that. Let's talk defenses,
1: all right? How about this team? I hear they're good. The Patriots defense. Can you find salary cap for them?
2: It's, I mean, it's wild, right? But it's just so hard to find salary cap for them. And there's not enough clear value this week. I think DK did a really good job with, With most of the pricing, even the guys like Chase Edmonds, if it opens up, he's at least priced competitively. Latavius is going to be like a a play again this week, but he's at least priced competitively if he opens up as a play. So I think it's too much to get up to the Patriots defense. I don't think you can spend 4,500. But it's crazy how big of a smash they've been so far.
1: Yeah, schedule has
2: been cake, though.
1: It it has been. And I mean, this is another cake matchup versus (laughs) the, the guy who's second in the league in interceptions with a terrible offensive line. That should theoretically translate into fantasy points. You'd think like if I make the room to pay for Christian McCaffrey every week, maybe I should just make the room to pay for the Patriots D every week.
2: Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it would be a printing press so far. That's for sure. I mean, you're talking to the guy who's been fading them in single game contests. So
1: <laughs> the, the issue becomes that if you don't pay up for a high end running back, you don't get the savings anywhere else at running back. You can kind of do that at defense because defense is far more random than running back is. So the guy, the ones that I like here, I think that people might, instead of using the Patriots, they'll save the money and take the Rams. I'll pass on that too. I love the Saints at $3,500 and I really like the Seahawks at twenty eight
2: uh Seahawks are going to be I mean contingent on the Matt Ryan news I think for me but I can see why you're interested in going that way um even even so just because of the, the plays and the pressure I think the Jags are the best defense that we have rated at the $2,900 price point um it, it feels like you're, I mean you're chasing the seeing ghost game but at the same time like you're, you're playing a defense against the quarterback that was seeing ghosts last week so I feel feel okay about that. I think they'll be the the popular defense of the week um, unless Matt Ryan sits, in which case probably splits exposure between the Jags and the Seahawks.
1: Hmm. The two cheapos that I like, I don't know about the Jags D. I'm not going to lie to you. This feels like a Jets rebound spot. All those teams that got embarrassed on primetime last week. It feels like they all kind of bounce back a little bit. I like... The Bucks at twenty five hundred dollars because I think they'll face more pass volume from Ryan Tannehill yep. uh, than normally expected, and that is actually the worst offensive line of football. They've given up the most sacks so far, and Tannehill sucks. That also helps. Then the Chargers, who all ha- might have Melvin Ingram back, and the Bears' offensive line also not very good. And I heard this about Mitch Trubisky; he sucks.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Those are great min-priced or close to min-priced defensive options. We're talking in, like about how we fit in all these players. And when I was running the optimal lineups, um, I was getting you know some exposure to the Jags, Seahawks, and then both the Bucks and Chargers. I think at those prices are there. You're basically hoping that either something fluky happens in those games and they can break the slate, or that no other defense that's expensive does you know score a touchdown or generate a shutout and a touchdown. And I mean, you get six to eight points from them, and that's pretty good for that spot. Move along with your day. I guess the last one I'd throw into the mix—they always seem to project pretty well, despite um, when when like people are facing this team, despite the fact that they always have a high total. And that's the Raiders against the Texans, and it was the same thing for the Colts last week. And the Colts defense was able to put up a pretty reasonable score against they put, Sean Watson because
1: they put up nine. They gave up
2: some sacks. Yeah, and that's that's nice. If I can get six points from a, a fifteen hundred dollar Raiders defense, I'm pretty happy with that. So I know they might get dummied and they might give up 28 points or whatever, um, but at least I've saved a ton of salary to put up like my two or three points for my, my defense opposed to spending 3,500. So I like punting all the way down to the Raiders as kind of the last defensive option.
1: I just wish they had a better pass rush. And that was the one thing I liked about the Colts is that they can actually get to the quarterback where the Raiders just can't really seem to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just kind of hoping, like some of the, even if they don't, that some of the designed runs or whatever, Watson doesn't get back to the goal line, some of the scrambles, whatnot. Um, I agree. It's a, a little bit thin, but at least, at least, like, at least you're not spending any money for that.
1: This is true. All right. Colin Drew, tell everyone again about the Daily Roto product and how successful you've been. I think it's a very good selling point. I'm not going to lie to you.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's always hard touting success. I would say we try to educate our subscribers as much as we can. So with the showdown stuff, it was an area I saw a lot of success. Try to write up a big strategy piece to help our subscribers understand how I play showdown and be able to play and think through things on their own. So if you if you want to join us for the NFL season, that's awesome. I know Drew and Mike and everybody are really busy this week with the start of the NBA. That's probably the sport that Daily Roto was the best known for um, coming into this year. And so I know we're all really excited about the NBA product. It's not something that I personally play, but uh, I know that they're hard at work for that. and really excited for the season to start. Obviously, you can drop the code, the PME, to save 10% on any of our packages, and it, it should be a really fun year. But we got more showdown slates, so no NBA for me.
1: All right, I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me at the PME Twitter, Instagram, where there's a giveaway, and the Facebooks. The cheat sheet will be up on Friday. I recommend everyone go check out Tuesday or Wednesday morning show with Feinberg and Cust. Probably the best show we've done all year. So if you want a good laugh and see two people who are really sad, that's really going to be up your alley because that's basically all it is the entire time. Other than that, subscribe to the audio podcast, like the video, do all the fun stuff that I ask you to do every week, and that'll do it for me. I'm Pat Mayo. Good luck in week eight. I'll see you next time.
0: HAVE EXPERIENCE! EXPERIENCE!